Welcome to Citizens Climate Radio. In this show, we highlight people's stories, we celebrate your successes, and together we share strategies for talking about climate change. I'm your host, Peter Santoscano. Welcome to episode 37 of Citizens Climate Radio, a project of Citizens Climate Education. This episode is airing on Saturday, June 22nd, 2019. For our puzzler, we asked people why they are advocates instead of rebels. Jerome Foster II, a high schooler, shares his thoughts on this question. In the art house, you will meet someone who ran away to join the circus. Eliana Dunlap tells us about her circus experiences. She now wants to use her unique skills to communicate climate change. But first, I need to speak with a professional baseball player who happens to be concerned about climate change. Hey, take me out to the ball game. Take me out with the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jack. I don't care if I never get back. Let me root, root, root for the home team. If they don't win, it's a shame. Cause it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the old ball game. There is a growing movement among professional athletes. Beyond greening the sports world, more and more champions are using their platforms to urge large-scale responses to climate change. Lou Blaustein, editor at Green Sports Blog, writes about this trend. He has been introducing me to professional athletes who are not afraid to talk about climate change. Athletes like Milwaukee Brewers pitcher Brent Suter. Suter dumps one into left, a base hit. Manny Pena is in, and Suter delivers again. Brent Suter has been in the major leagues playing for the Brewers for three seasons. This left-handed pitcher has a career record of 13-11. That's 13 wins and 11 losses. His career-earned run average is 3.91. He was on his way to his best season in 2018 when it was cut short by an injury. After a successful surgery, he's been rehabbing. Brent expects to get back to pitching for the Brewers in late July or early August, just in time for the drive to the playoffs. When you talk to Brent or see clips of him from TV interviews, you will see a silly, playful side to him. He even does voice impressions. TV reporter Delaney Bray of WTMJ in Milwaukee recently tested Brent's skills. You may have seen some of his work on the Brewers' Twitter page. Even Jim Carrey gave him a shout-out for his part in the Dumb and Dumber recreation. But I wanted to see if Suter had real acting chops. Gollum from The Lord of the Rings. <laughs> me wants it. Me needs it. Precious. Oh my goodness. Force Gump from Force Gump. Uh, he said we're going to invest in a fruit company, and so we don't have to worry about money no more. Brent admits he has always had this playful side. Just get away, like, a little too much talking in class or laughing in class or a little too much. I would really like to make beats with my, like, pencil box at the desk and stuff like that. So I'd often uh, have to be told to quiet down, quiet the old drum set down over there. <laughs> And I played sports growing up, always loved sports and singing and chorus and stuff like that. Grew up in the Boy Scouts for a little bit and then uh, uh, not too much 
not too much trouble. And then he saw a movie that changed the way he saw the world. Freshman year in uh, high school, I watched An Inconvenient Truth. just blew my mind. And from then on, it was kind of just on my heart to make this a priority of mine. So I studied environmental science and public policy in college and have this issue, mission critical type of thing for our society and trying to do my part since I've become a baseball player and for the environment. With a scholarship to play baseball at Harvard University, Brent studied environmental science. He learned more about the effects of climate change and how we need to drastically reduce our pollution. At first, that meant making individual lifestyle choices to lower his own personal carbon footprint. At home and on the road playing professional ball, he continues these eco-friendly practices. One thing I do is I compost everything I can uh, food scrap-wise at the house, put it into uh, a compost container, and put it in a compost pile so that instead of having those food scraps go to the landfill and create all sorts of methane, they decompose in a natural way and become viable soil. That's a big change you can do individually to take your environmental footprint from uh, positive to negative. My wife and I put solar panels on our roof. That's taken out all our electricity needs, which has been awesome. Um, and then we're looking for more improvements on our house efficiency. I uh, eat or- only organic food, uh, avoid all beef, and avoid animal products when possible. And I uh, use a reusable water bottle uh, instead of any type of plastic water bottle and use this stuff, uh, this Tupperware, this classable Tupperware on the road, rather than using the styrofoam plates and knives that sometimes are, are provided for us. So instead of throwing all that waste away, I just use the Tupperware over and over again and kind of eliminate some waste like that. These individual choices are admirable, but Brent realizes they fall short of what we need to do. We need to change policy and systems. Recently, Brent has found inspiration from Project Drawdown, a book that outlines 100 substantial ways to address climate change. One of the things that really stood out to me was our refrigeration use and how much CO2 could be saved with easy changes in our refrigeration, both the policies of how refrigerants are made and also what materials they're made with. Wow, we could make a huge, huge change with just a simple change like that. In other sectors, energy and transportation, I think we need to get our vehicle fleet being all electric ASAP because then we can start incorporating renewable energies into the grid and therefore we can be running basically our whole vehicle fleet ideally off of clean energy without any type of gas exhaust contributing to uh, the climate. Brent has begun to use his platform as a professional baseball player to model sustainability. He also made a splash with a new initiative during this year's spring training. Yeah, I just tried to get my teammates to participate as well. I launched this campaign called Strikeout Ways, trying to get all my teammates who signed up one of these Zulu glass water balls, which are so awesome. And the guys bought in and uh, have been using it. And it it really helped eliminate waste in spring training. And uh, hopefully it continues to do that. 100 out of almost 200 players took a reusable water bottle. Even those who did not take one of Brent's bottles started refilling their plastic bottles instead of grabbing a new one each time. The campaign definitely reduced the amount of single-use plastic bottles they used. So some guys would go to the refillable stations with their plastic bottles before, so it wasn't necessarily every guy was using three or four, but there were definitely a lot of people who would be using three or four in a day easily. We went through 20 huge cases a day, and we got that down to about 10 or 12 by the end of spring. So that was cool to see some progress. 
Sure, they use less plastic water bottles for one spring training season, but Brent used the successful campaign to connect with his fans. Really, the campaign was more for an awareness of outside of ourselves, kind of what our impacts are. I had a lot of fans and people come up to me and be like, wow, I couldn't believe how many bottles I was really going through. And then it started changing my mind on some things. And I started doing this, doing that. And that, that was really the point of it was to kind of start this momentum effect of awareness outside, outside of yourself, awareness about your environmental impact in your life and how you can change that and do other things in your life. And soon enough, uh, a lot of momentum is created. In leveraging his platform, Brent is raising awareness with fans. The Major League Baseball Network posted a short video on Twitter. Brent highlights first steps fans can make. Over 60,000 people have viewed it so far. That's just a start. Brent understands we need to change national energy policy. In a recent interview for the Green Sports blog, he said, quote, at this point in time, a carbon pricing program and higher initiatives for clean energy are absolutely imperative towards the goal of stabilizing our climate and ensuring a healthy and viable future for our planet. He then goes on to speak about specific legislation he supports. Quote, the Energy Innovation and Carbon Dividend Act would not only help achieve these goals, but would give the funds raised back to the people, save countless lives and create millions of jobs. A green revolution needs to happen fast, and this law, if passed, will play a vital role in helping solve the most important problem of our lives. Within Major League Baseball, Brent recognizes that significant changes are already happening. MLB diverted 20,000 tons of waste from landfills into compost piles and recyclables, so there, there's definitely some progress going on. A lot of teams are switching over to the LED lights, which are more environmentally friendly, less energy intensive. A lot of teams are switching to solar panels. There's several teams using solar panels for energy. There's several teams using their own gardens for energy. I think the Nationals are going all compost for their concession containers and for having compost piles throughout the stadium this year. So that's really awesome to see. And my hope and goal and their hope and goal is that all teams would be solar panels soon all teams would have led lights all teams would be composting and divert as much waste as we can and lessen in that footprint as much as we can so that that'd be the major goal but this is just a start who knows what we could do next maybe add environmental events and cleanups into the normal baseball events would be great any kind of gardening together tree planting because at this point humanity we need to really not just limit what we do, but change our land use and go reforest, forest areas, meaning like plant trees where there haven't been trees before or forest before. A lot, of, a lot of good changes could be used with MLB, but there's already some momentum going. There is a lot of momentum. Still, it can be risky for a professional athlete to take a stand on an issue like climate change. It has become polarizing and politicized. Yeah, I really don't understand how our country has politicized it so much. I feel it's just such an important issue and it's such a kind of really obvious, straightforward issue. Like we are living in an unsustainable way. This can't see our society living like this for hundreds, nonetheless thousands of years. We need to get back in balance with nature. So we, we got some work to do. Lou Blaustein from Green Sports Blog will join us next month to share more about what is happening in the sports world. Lou speaks about the urgency to act on climate. Mike Trout of the Anaheim Angels, best player in baseball, he recently signed a 
400 plus million dollar 12 year contract extension. 12 years is also what the IPCC said is the time frame that humanity has to reduce our carbon footprint by 45%. Basically, Mike Trout's contract. We need to let fans know this and know that what the teams are know what the teams that they love are doing and show them how they can do that something similar on their own and to engage their friends to do it because we need to get the masses of people who follow sports and that's the power of sports right 65 to 70% of humans follow sports to engage on positive climate action positive environmental action and that is where we are now and the thing is we only have the length of Mike Trout's contract so we better get going Want to keep up with Brent Suter, his career, and climate efforts? You can follow him on Twitter, at Bruter24. That's B-R-U-T-E-R 24, at Bruter24. To learn more about what is happening with climate change in the sports world, visit greensportsblog.com. In our show notes, I have links to articles, videos, and more. You can even see Brent doing his amazing voice impressions. Just visit our blog. Go to citizensclimatelobby.org slash blog. That's citizensclimatelobby.org slash blog. Now it is time for the art house. Eliana Dunlap has an unconventional job. In fact, she finds it challenging when people ask, what exactly do you do? I'll often tell people that I'm a a circus artist. Sometimes I'll say acrobat instead because people seem to understand that a little bit more (laughs) than circus artists. They have somehow have more of a reference for that. I'll see how they react. Sometimes people get very confused. (laughs) Basically, Ileana does circus and she has a lot of fun doing it. I see circus as really rooted in play. I mean, if you think about a lot of what we're doing, it's like kind of silly and stupid. <laughs> you know, like we're like, we're going to make really big human pyramids or like we're going to see how many objects we can throw in the air. Like I'm going to do this really weird and specific thing and I'm going to work really hard to be able to do it. And in a lot of ways, there's like no point to that. <laughs> you know, being like, I'm going to spend years to learn how to like stand on one foot on someone's head while spinning objects around my arms. You're like, okay. So I think a lot of it is rooted in play. And I think, you know, if you're playing, there's, I think, a bit of an inherent whimsy to that. And I think circus is also just fun. You know, I think that's something it's... Nowadays, you certainly see circus that is more serious. You know, if you look at the tradition of circus, there's a lot of just fun to it. Part of it is trying to bring you to a place that is sort of magical and different and weird. And I think that's probably where that whimsy stems from. In a moment, you will hear how Ileana is connecting her circus work to climate change. But first, how do you even become a circus artist? It's actually almost quite hard to become a circus artist without going to circus school first or to have been born into a family. So that's been interesting. There's a lot of people that have been talking about like to like, how do we open up other pathways to uh, becoming a circus artist? 
Ileana was not born into a circus family. She went to circus school in Quebec. Her circus skill set is very impressive. Um, well, I have my what I would call my primary discipline, which is what I was my primary discipline in school, um, which is German wheel, which looks like a ladder rolled into a circle and you roll around in it. And that's what I could most easily perform as a solo act. And it's probably what I have the highest skill level in. And then I also have kind of pretty much everything else I'm, I can do. I sort of have like categories of things. So aerial work on my on my list of skills. I have acrobatics, group acrobatics, juggling. And then I also have like other categories. Like I have some dance on there, music. These days, contemporary circus, it borrows from a lot of other types of art forms like dance and theater. So it's really common to see other types of performance skills on a circus resume. Have you ever heard of the German wheel before? I hadn't, but I've spent an hour or more watching German wheel YouTube videos. It's a lot like a human in an unmoored hamster wheel. I don't know. It's like a big rolling jungle gym. I just think it's, you know, it's really fun to do. And there's something about the rhythm that I find really appealing. It kind of like if you work with the rhythm of it, you sort of like float across the floor and it's very satisfying. (laughs) After school, Eliana did circus in unconventional spaces. She performed at the DC Fringe Festival in a piece called Kick Before You Drown. It was actually pretty interesting. It looked a lot at like intimacy and the lengths people go to for intimacy. Then she toured for a year with the musical Pippin, the Broadway play set in a circus. The cast included seven acrobats. In January, she finished nearly five months performing in Germany. But as Eliana does acrobatics, juggling, and German wheeling, something tugs at her. She feels the need to do something to address climate change. As a young adult, she read Daniel Quinn's book, Ishmael. What's really interesting about it is the way it's structured. It's a dialogue between a teacher and a student, and the teacher is a gorilla, (laughs) and the student is some guy that saw the gorilla's advertisement in the newspaper looking for a student. (laughs) It's sort of an interesting perspective on how we ended up where we are called The Story of Bee and My Ishmael. Anyway, so I was reading that. Um, I was on tour with Pippin. And it, I, I finished it in like three days. I think it's the fastest I've ever read a book. And it suddenly, like, the world looked completely different to me. I really started to think, like, I want to engage more with climate change, with environmental issues. And I need to figure out a way to do that. And I want to do it with circus. And so I started to think about how I could do that. And then I wasn't like really sure where to start because I was like, how do you do that, right? (laughs) I had never really thought about circus as a way of talking about climate change. And so I decided that uh, the way I wanted to start was to just start talking to people that were already doing this. So I started doing a lot of research and trying to find people that were, you know, working on social and environmental justice and like political issues through circus. Eliana sees circus as more than a source of entertainment. And she also has important messages to share But speaking about controversial topics does not fit well with traditional circus. Circus falls under the category of the arts. And I think what the arts do kind of inherently is they either confirm or they challenge culture. And so I'm like, I don't really see how you can do anything in the arts 
in a way that isn't political. Like, I don't think any of that is free of political voice. Even if it's very subtle, I think there's always some sort of political voice to that. There is that thread in other art forms. And I think you don't really see that so much in circus. And I've always kind of wondered why. And I've had some interesting conversations with fellow circus artists about it. And I often get responses like, oh, well, you know, I don't want to isolate my audience or I don't want to pigeonhole myself or whatever it is. And all of those, I think, are like totally valid concerns in some ways. Concerned about climate change and rapidly unfolding ecological disasters, Eliana needed to connect with fellow circus doers also concerned. She turned to the world of podcasting. My podcast is called Changing the World and Other Circus-Related Things. Each one is like an interview or conversation with someone who is doing work at the intersection of social and environmental justice and circus or performance in general. In a moment, I'll let you know how you can listen to Eliana's podcast. Eliana is also a founder of the Circus Action Network. It's a collaborative platform for talking about social and environmental engagement in circus work. Through Circus Action Network, they support and learn from each other. But wait, there's more. Eliana is now using her circus skills to connect directly with the public. This summer, she and a friend are performing a new street performance that draws people in for creative conversation about climate change. It's called High Stakes. What's the plant? But the T is in parentheses. (laughs) So it's like, what's the plan? But it's a plant. And it's because it's me, my friend David, and our third character is this plant named Arthur. So it's sort of like the three of us doing this show. It's actually thematically dealing a lot with sustainability and climate change and like, what do we do now, right? So we thought it was sort of like a funny plan, like, what's the plan? But everyone's like, why do you have a plant on stage? (laughs) We're using a lot of juggling because my friend David is a juggler, a little bit of acrobatics, and we're also bringing in music, some dance and some theater. So it's kind of interesting for me because it's a lot of disciplines that are not at the top of my list of skill set. (laughs) And I've also never done street theater before. So it's just been like a lot of new things for me, which has been kind of fun and exciting. Climate change is an issue humans struggle to understand. People feel overwhelmed and don't know how to respond. Eliana looks to circus to explain some aspects of what we are facing with climate change and how we can move forward. I think the fact that so much of circus is about how we deal with high stakes and high risk situations. I mean, climate change is a high stakes situation, right? And so, I mean, that's something we do every day with circus. The way that people cooperate in circus is really interesting. You like bring together all these people from really varied backgrounds and they all work together quite functionally (laughs) to achieve something. I mean, I've certainly worked with people that outside of the circus context that I don't really like, that I don't really get along with, that I disagree with on pretty fundamental things. But then, you know, we'll go into a show and we have to set all of that aside for the sake of safety and for the sake of doing this show. And I basically have to put my life in their hands. I mean, I don't know how much that reads to an audience, but that's been a very interesting and powerful experience for me to see like, actually, yes, like I can dislike this person or not get along with this person in some aspects, but I can also really respect them and trust them in other aspects. You can learn more about Eliana Dunlap at her website, 
elianadunlap.com. There you will find a page about high stakes, the summer street show she's performing in Chicago with David Schiavone. Check out the video of their circus skills. Juggling and plant care never look so cool. And if you want to follow the Circus Action Network, check out their Facebook page. You can also check out Eliana's podcast, Changing the World, and other circus-related things. Just go to elianadunlap.com. If you have an idea for the art house, feel free to contact me, radio at citizensclimate.org. The one we were both in, where we learned each other's names. time for our monthly puzzler question. Last month's puzzler had you at a recent student walkout demonstration. While there, you spoke to a parent, Claire. Claire's daughter was a protest organizer. You tell Claire how you speak to legislators about laws that will address fossil fuel pollution. You see yourself as an advocate, working in the system to bring about change. Claire confesses, I would never have the patience for that. I'm so angry and I need to protest. She then asks, so why do you do that kind of advocacy work instead of protesting and civil disobedience? In May, I chatted with Jerome Foster II. Jerome is a high school student from Washington, D.C. He was in the middle of organizing a protest event in front of the White House. Still, he finds himself more drawn to advocacy. This is what he had to say. Well, I see myself as more of an advocate um, because I started out as being more of an advocate. Before we had the Zero Hour March, we had the Zero Hour Lobby Day, where we actually went out to like meet with Congress members. I'm just, a, and I work with Congressman John Lewis now. I'm an intern for Congressman John Lewis um, since January, and I've been working in his office as an intern. Also, I've been like working with Eleanor Holmes Norton and just so many different Congress members now. And I'd be like, you can't just fake it at this point. My generation is following up on you. And like, we're going to make sure that we're actually publicizing whether you're taking action and what you vote on. So I really see like me being an advocate, especially because like even this Friday, um, when I held the um, Fridays for Future March in front of the White House, um, when I, right afterwards, I ended my strike at 12 p.m. And at 1230, my internship starts with Congressman John Lewis. Within an hour of me being in the office, I had the select committee on the climate crisis call me and say, hey, we would like some Congress members to actually come out and support you. We'd like some congressmen to come out in the White House in the next following weeks to come out and join you in your strikes because they just, they already know me from interning for Congressman John Lewis. And now they see me organizing out in front of the White House. They have that sense of like personal connection to me. So like that helps them to feel comfortable when they go out and actually strike. That is like, I really do see myself as an advocate because it inter like it's interconnected to every other action that I do. Thank you, Jerome. So... Are you ready for this month's puzzler? Oh, it's a weird one. (laughs) But there is a method to my madness. We need to expand the ways we talk about climate change. So, here's the question. What color do you associate with climate change and why? Or, what sound do you associate with climate change and why? Feel free to answer either or both. Send me your answers, leave your name, contact info, and where you're from. 
get back to me by July 15th, 2019. You can email your answers to radio at citizensclimate.org. That's radio at citizensclimate.org. Or better yet, you can leave a voicemail of three minutes or less at the following number, 518-595-9414. Plus one, if you're calling from outside the USA. That number again is 518-595-9414. Thank you for listening to our show. Citizens Climate Radio is written and produced by me, Peter Santoscano. Other technical support from Ricky Bradley and Brett Cease. Social media assistance from Ashley Hunt Monterano, Flannery Winchester, Allison Cabisco, and Steve Volk. Moral support from Madeline Para. All the music we use on the show is licensed unless otherwise specified. Audio clips come from Major League Baseball YouTube page and WTMJ Milwaukee. You also heard Frank Sinatra and Gene Kelly singing from the movie musical Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Our audience is growing. I'm very happy about that. Please be sure to share Citizens Climate Radio with your friends and on social media. You can find Citizens Climate Radio wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at northernspiritradio.org. Join the discussion at our Facebook group page, facebook.com slash group slash Citizens Climate Radio. You can also follow us on Twitter at Citizens C Radio. That's Citizens, the letter C, radio, at Citizens C Radio. Visit citizensclimatelobby.org slash blog to see info about our puzzler and find links to our guests. Citizens Climate Radio is a project of Citizens Climate Education.